You are listening to Haftorah, this Shir series which explores the connections between the Parsha Shavuot and its corresponding Haftorah. And here at the database of Rabbi Yeshua Eisenberg, this week's Parsha is Parsha's Yisro, and the Haftorah comes to us from the mysterious passage in Sefer Yeshayahu, Yeshaya, the most commonly featured Navi in all of Haftorah. And more particularly, the Haftorah begins with Perak Vav, Pasuk Aleph, 6-1. It goes all the way to Zion Vav, so that's 7-6. So it goes from 6-1 to 7-6. And then it skips and comes back to conclude in Parak Tesp, Sukim Hay and Vav. So that's 9, 5 to 6. So once again, it starts with 6, 1, goes to 7, 6, and then there, it skips to 9, 5, and 6. Now, this chosen Haftarah for Yisro, um, it features cryptic descriptions of the Srafim, a species of angels, all amidst Ishayahu's divine revelation of the Beis Amigdash. And the contents of this particular nevuah um, are presumed by most to be a simplified and perhaps less intense version of the similar and somewhat parallel revelation that was experienced by Yechezkel in the very first parak of Sefer Yechezkel, which is the chosen reading for Shavuos. Right, that, that particular passage in Yechezkel is referred to by Chazal as the Maisa Merkava, literally the event or the account of the chariot, the divine chariot, in which Yechezkel saw the face of Hashem, as it were. Um, again, a display of angels and different kinds of angels and the Kisei HaKavod. So now, as far as the relationship between the Sidra and the Haftarah goes, we might note that Chazal have already drawn connections between the revelation at Har Sinai, featured in this week's Parsha, Parsha Yisro, and the Maisa Merkava, as various Midrashim suggest that during the experience of Har Sinai, the Bnei Israel as well witnessed the visions of the Maisa Merkava itself, when they too saw the face of God again, as it were. So the pervading theme of the Haftarah seems to be one of intense divine revelation. And as was mentioned, Yeshayahu's vision of the Maisa Merkava, so we might think of that as the divine chariot light, right? the diet version. It's a slightly less intense version of the, of the same concept. So Yechezkel has a deeper vision of it, Yeshayah has a lighter vision of it, but again, it's all about the divine chariot, the divine revelation, um, the intense experience of Hashem's presence. Now with this backdrop, I think we're necessarily faced with a similar challenge to that which we had recently faced. In fact, only one week ago in terms of the Haftarah choice for Parshas B'Shalach. As we discussed last week, you might recall, Parshas B'Shalach, which featured the first major shira, the first prophetic song in the Torah, and the corresponding Haftarah was taken from a part of Sefer Shoftim, which featured once again a shira, the shira of Devorah. And we mentioned that if you look at the time that that same reading of Kriyas Yamsuf, Shira Sayyam, when it, when it appears again on Pesach, right, when that same Shira is read yet again, it's accompanied by a Haftarah from a different Navi, from Sefer Shmuel, which also happens to feature a song, a different Shira. And, of course, I mentioned that we're going to have to return to that eventually, not right now, but what all of this indicates is that perhaps there are different dimensions and perspectives with which to reflect on the Shira of Bishalach, depending on the day, whether it is just Parshish Bishalach or it's Pesach. And what we have to eventually return to is why on the different days we have a different reading. But we can make a similar observation here. 
when it comes to Parshas Yisro and the reading of the Aseris Adibros, um, often um, translated loosely as the Ten Commandments or the Decalogue, the Ten Statements that Hashem aided Har Sinai, and that was, of course, the contents of that which was displayed in the Divine Revelation at Sinai. So, on the one hand, we have the Haftarah referencing the Maisa Merkava in Yishayahu, and yet on Shavuos, when the same text of Kabbalah Satorah, Har Sinai, is experienced and read again, it's followed up by the Haftarah of the fuller Maisa Merkava prophecy that's featured in Yechezkel. So that fact alone begs the same question that we asked last week as to why there are different Haftarahs to complement these same Torah readings, albeit on a different day of the calendar year. Now, while we will not be focusing so much on the Haftarah reading for Shavuos, it would be helpful to keep the above in mind, because if one looks at the unique Haftarah for our Seja in Yeshaya, we might be able to identify other themes that Yeshaya's particular revelation has, which connect to our Sidra, beyond the mere theme of divine revelation. Because, again, if the point of the Haftarah is just to highlight revelation, there seems to be no reason to select a different Haftarah for Yisra than for Shavuos. It's unlikely that we're merely selecting the different Haftarah for the same Torah reading, highlighting the same exact theme, just because we don't want to read the same Haftarah again twice in the same year, because there are other Haftarah readings that are read more than once a year. We mentioned some of them last week. Right? Noach and Kiseitze share a Haftarah, Hazinu and the Seventh Day of Pesach share a Haftarah, Vahaloscha and Shabbos Chanukah share a Haftarah. So every now and then we do repeat a Haftarah. Maybe you might argue that the higher value is not to, and if we, if we can't come up with an alternative, we'll do that. But I think there's something more here. The question is, what really is the difference between the Haftarah for Yisra from Yishaya and the Haftarah for Shavuos from Yechezkel, other than the fact that Yechezkel elaborates just a little bit more in the Maeser Merkava? So just for starters, not only does the Shavuos Haftarah from Yechezkel describe the Maeser Merkava in fuller detail, but in fact, that reading clearly revolves around the Maeser Merkava. The entire Haftarah is about the contents of that revelation. However, if you look in our Haftarah this week for Yisra, which is taken from Yeshaya, the Maeser Merkava is really only a short segment in the beginning of the Haftarah reading. If you look at the Haftarah itself, it particularly focuses on a different topic, namely Yeshaya's task, which follows his sighting of the Merkava. So there's apparently more to the Haftarah, which seems to have much less to do with the divine vision itself. So what else is the Haftarah from Yeshaya this week really about? So if you look at the entire reading, the larger Haftarah is made up of a couple of segments of prophecies of warning, part of which took place following the death of Uziah Melech Yehuda, who is also known as Azariah, and part of which took place during the reign of Uziah's grandson, Ahaz. Now, in the first part of the, of the Haftarah, the Navi deals with Yeshaya's selection for the role of rebuking the Bnei Israel. But upon witnessing the divine chariot, Yeshaya is quickly reminded of his humanity, humans who are sinful by nature, impure, imperfect. However, in his encounter with the seraph, who touches his mouth with a coal, he touches a coal to Yeshaya's mouth, and strangely, Yeshaya is quickly atoned and purified. And then, when asked, who should go to rebuke the people? 
Yishaya oddly volunteers. He raises his, his hand and says, Hineni shilacheni. He says, Behold, here I am, and send me. Pick me, pick me. And it's very strange. Now, why is Yishaya so quick to take the job after this experience with the Saraf? Yishaya's alacrity, his enthusiasm for such a noble task seems astonishingly brazen, maybe somewhat chutzpudek, especially if we consider how it compares and stands in stark contrast to the vehement yet humble refusal displayed by both Moshe Rabbeinu and by Yirmiya when they were selected to address the Bnei Israel. Right, we spoke about that a little bit for the Sephardic Haftorah for Parsha Shmos. So when we think about Moshe Rabbeinu, when we think about Yirmiya Hanavi, we have to ask ourselves, why does Yishaya feel so ready for this task? And why does Yishaya's... Um, why, why does his readiness become one of the main points of our Haftarah? Because apparently that is what we're focusing on, Yishaya's chosenness for the task. And not just his chosenness, but his volunteering, his participation. In any event, Yishaya is chosen to condemn the Bnei Israel, telling them that they surely hear but will fail to comprehend, surely see but fail to know, and that the people's hearts have been fattened so that they cannot internalize Hashem's message to them to repent from their complacently evil ways and ultimately be healed. Uh, Rav Shemshim of Al Hirsch explains that the problem of the generation was that religion began and it ended in the temple, in the Mikdash, and that since the point of the temple was for its spiritual influence to seep into life outside it, the temple, the Mikdash, was in fact not serving its purpose to the people. It therefore had to be destroyed. Right? The whole point of the Mikdash, when we say that Akimi Tzion say Torah, right? Torah is supposed to emanate from Tzion outward, and then we're all supposed to benefit from it wherever in the world we may be, right? And in a similar vein, right? Tzion means a looking point. It's a point that's supposed to be the, the, the beacon of inspiration to everywhere else. And in the same vein, the base of Migdash, the experience of the base of Migdash is supposed to go home with you. But as Rav Hirsch explains, it didn't. And since it wasn't serving its purpose, it had to be destroyed. So the rebuke to the people is certainly a harsh one, and their subjugation at the hands of Aram is going to be even harsher, as the Navi promises, that at least in the immediate future, the chaos of their gullus, their exile, is going to come to a temporary standstill when a righteous king, Chizkiyahu, is going to ultimately rise up, and he's going to rid the generation of all spiritual impurity. So there in the Haftarah gives us some good news. But that's really what most of the Haftarah discusses. So beyond the imagery of the divine revelation that we referenced before, what does any of the above have to do with the narrative of Parshas Yisra? And again, we established that Yeshaya sees some angels, gets overwhelmed, and is suddenly um, purified and chosen to rebuke the people. And as was mentioned, there was something kind of strange about Yeshaya's selection process in that Yeshaya, unlike other great prophets, volunteered himself for the job when given the opportunity almost to back out. We were wondering why that was, how he could be so brazen as to think that he was fitting for the job. But if one reviews the sequence of events, Yishaya wasn't necessarily longing for that job the entire time, and he very evidently did not think he was fitting for the job. As we had mentioned as well, upon experiencing his divine revelation, his initial knee-jerk reaction was to acknowledge his own lack of worth. There was humility there. He saw his mortality before him, his impurity, his inclination towards sin, then he declared that he should die for having even seen the face of God. Think about the Parsha. Does that sound familiar? We'll come back to that.
But Yeshaya apparently did not think he was worthy for the role of being Hashem's subject for any matters at all whatsoever. And perhaps in some ways, Yeshaya was correct. Right? Who can really be worthy? Mi Bahar Hashem. Right? Who can go up on Hashem's mountain? Who can say that he's actually worthy? Right? But that was the beginning of his divine experience. Because again, as the Navi tells us, amidst his divine experience, the angel restores Yeshaya's purity, and only then does Yeshaya have the confidence and self-worth to step up to the plate. Right? He had an experience with an angel, a purifying experience. But the question is, what really changed from the beginning of that divine experience that Yeshaya changed his attitude at the end? Right? What, what, what was the difference? He was human before, he's still human afterwards. And if his humanity was the reason why he was not worthy, why was he all of a sudden worthy now? Because a coal was touched to his mouth. Yes, he was purified, perhaps clean from sin, but he is still a human and therefore he's going to intrinsically be frail in the face of God. Right? So what changed? And it could be that, in fact, both attitudes are simultaneously correct. Both realities are correct. In truth, man is frail and unworthy on the one hand, and yet on the other hand, he has the greatest spiritual potential to reach God, to be pure, to be a subject of Hashem's, and to do his divine work. Naturally, man has evil drives. Yes, we know this. And perhaps naturally, man is at a great disadvantage when it comes to engaging in divine tasks, to transcend. So Yeshayahu probably felt what Moshe, Yirmiya, and really all of us feel. And that is... How can we even try to relate to a spiritual God? How are we worthy to serve him? Especially when we consider the angels in the heavens who call out, as our Haftarah says it itself, Kadosh, 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 Hashem, Tzvakos, Melochal, Arts, Kvodo, that Hashem is holy, three times over, whatever that means. He is the master of legions, and the entire world is filled and overwhelmed with his glory. How do we even exist in this world in the presence of Hashem? But perhaps... Despite man's limitations, and maybe not even despite them, but specifically because of man's limitations, man is charged to overcome and transcend, to transcend himself and to transcend this world. And that means that this obviously great task, this, ta- this great task and task, uh, test and task, implies an equally great potential for humankind to be able to reach Hashem, perhaps even where the angels could not. Right, and this we know is what differentiates man from angels. The angels, they have it easy. They start off in Shemayim. They don't have to put up a fight of any sort. They, they sing Hashem's praises. And meanwhile, Hashem will quiet down the angels so that he can hear our Kedusha. He can hear our praises to him. Right, so perhaps the angels themselves are actually admitting this much, admitting the potential of humankind when they declare that the entire world is filled with his glory. This is what the angels say. They don't say that the heavens are filled with Hashem's glory. They say the world is filled with His glory. Our world, our humanly, earthly world. Even in this world, the abode of humankind, man can connect to God. Now, at the same time, I, want, I think it's important to point out that it's still true that without that will to transcend, man's humanity will drag him down, right? The muscle, the old muscle of the escalator. If you're not going up the escalator, you're going down. Humanity will drag you down unless you actively, proactively make a decision to transcend. And that is, in fact, the precise rebuke which Ishaya is told to relay to the people, that they, in their thick skin, are not allowing the spirituality to seep into their souls. They hear and see, but only on the surface. They allow their hearts to be fattened with 
their, their own humanity and their unwillingness to transcend. Thus, it takes a willing human to rise to the challenge, to rise to the occasion, to dare to transcend even though he's human and realize that although he is only human, that God can be reached anywhere. And realizing that, Ishaya says that he is the man willing, not to say that I'm worthy, but willing to take a second look at the seraphim in the face and say, behold, here I am, send me, because I have a mission to transcend. Not because I'm worthy and not because... I am absolutely pure, not because I'm perfect, but because that's what mankind is here to do. Ishai realized that, that was what his, his calling was. And the above has everything to do with Parsha Yisra, which is not only about divine revelation, but if you look at our Parsha, it's about the challenges that divine revelation necessarily poses to Hashem's human servants. I look back at the Parsha where the Chumash tells us how the Bnei Yisrael were so overwhelmed at Har Sinai, frozen by a deathly fear, paralyzed as a result of their humanity in, in the face of Hashem's presence. How could they expect to enter a covenant with Hashem? And just like Yeshaya thinks he's going to die, that's exactly what the Bnei Yisrael say to Moshe Rabbeinu. How can we go any further? How could we listen any further? We're going to die. Yeshaya's initial feeling of human meekness before Hashem's presence is appropriate. And at the revelation at Har Sinai, the Bnei Yisrael were reminded of that very same distance, their humanity, their gap between them and Hashem. And this natural distance that is caused by our humanity at times can be the cause for our failure as Hashem's people. For example, if we refuse to work on ourselves and mature from our animalistic instincts, of course, once again, our humanity is going to weigh us down. And in B'nai Israel's history, it was the lack of serious comprehension in the eternal covenant that we have with Hashem, which left us vulnerable and prone to breaching that, that bris, that covenant later. They would freeze up because of their humanity. But on the other hand, humanity can trip us up in the opposite direction as well. For example, if you consider the scene of Klai Yisrael's worship of the golden calf, the Egel Azov, in a few parshios from now, when the Bnei Yisrael attempted to recreate an artificial an unrealistic divine experience to serve Hashem in a way that was beyond human capability, in a way that was unauthorized, it was because we felt limited by our human limitations, we overreached an attempt to connect to spirituality. However, that is also contrary, I believe, to the message of Harsinai. So what is the message of Harsinai? Is the message that we can't do it, we are human? Is the message that we need higher spiritual inspiration? I believe the true message is really somewhere in between. The message of Harsinai is reflected by Ishaya is not that we should attempt to transcend our human limitations by striving to become angels. Rather, we're supposed to reach Hashem by maintaining and embracing our humanity, but without letting it weigh us down. By taking the leap of faith as a human, saying, I don't know how far I can go, but I'm going to try to connect. And in my own skin, I will try to transcend to serve Hashem here on this world. Yes, we could be humans, but with a willingness to transcend, to overcome, to improve ourselves within a healthy human framework. Not to try to be something that we are not. 
And if we do that, instead of trying to be something that we're not, we actually have the potential to reach even higher than the Srafim, who don't have the same challenge. In the end, I believe there's a balance that must be met. We're intrinsically distant from Hashem, yet His presence fills up our world. We are frail humans, but our humanity is, at the same time, what gives us the potential for closeness to Hashem. Certainly, we have to be humble and we have to know our place, but at the same time, we cannot be eternally weighed down by the fat of our own physical selves. We have to harness our humanity and, without overreaching, exert our willingness and efforts to transcend, to look the Divine Presence in the face and say, Hineni shlacheni, behold, here I am, and send me. Just pick me, let me, you know, let me do it. Not because I'm worthy, but because I have a mission of connection to you. I am put in this world so that I can serve you. So I'm not going to shy away, but I'm going to just jump in and do it. We shall be zocha to use our humanity as the springboard towards spiritual transcendence, to step up to the plate and accept the yoke of Hashem's Torah. And Hashem should reveal His divine presence to all of us. We should be worthy to see it um, in its greatest form at the coming of the Geula in the days of Mashiach, from Rabbi Amenu. As I wish you an absolutely wonderful Shabbos, I want to also remind you that if you enjoy sharing like this and others on the podcast, and you want to give us sponsorship, or if you have questions, comments, concerns, recommendations, or you want to join the Database Podcast WhatsApp group for our links to every uploaded Shear, for updates, and for links to the reruns of Shearim, then all you have to do is reach out to me at thedatabase at gmail.com. That's the data than base, B-E-I-S at gmail.com. And I also want to dedicate this Shearly, the Nishan Asimim Rasi, Chai Rachel Bas, David Svi, Harini Kaparas Mishkaba. And once again, have an absolutely wonderful Shabbos, and thank you again for joining us here at the Database.